When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Very good morning to you. You're welcome along to the programme. And that breaking uh, news story, it seems to have been uh, delivered through uh, social media, from what I can understand. The CEO of the Health Service Executive, a man we've all gotten to know, Paul Reid, has announced he's stepping down later this uh, year. He'll step down in December and saying he's no immediate career plan. So he's not saying he's retiring. He's not saying he's another job offer. He's just saying he's had enough of the HSE and in a message to staff today he said he made the decision with a very heavy heart and that it was the hardest decision he's ever had to make in relation to his own career Now we're expecting more will follow on that story as we go through the morning but it certainly has come as quite a shock on this Monday morning to hear that Paul Reid is stepping down. That's a tough tough job and you know it's one of those jobs he's taken a lot of abuse on certainly online I've seen a lot of abuse given out to Paul Reid so it's it's just it's a a tough job and I think you know one of the things it's a well paid job I think Paul Reid himself will accept that and he was constantly being picked up about the size of his wage and we only mentioned his wage actually last week when the HSC their kind of annual audit came out you know showing how many people over there were six people I think earned more than a half a million euro 500,000 with one hospital consultant earning 750,000 but then there was I think was there 20 people who earned um, that when you go down along the sliding scale the next highest were the people who earned 400,000 plus and of course one of those was Paul Reid of the HSC now I don't know whether all that scrutiny that he has to take that media scrutiny he has to take and he's really come under the media spotlight because of COVID-19 whether that has anything to do with it and will he divulge and will he talk about more as to why he has decided to step down but it is the breaking news story this morning the head of the HSC CEO Paul Reid has announced he will leave later on this year and an issue that we will be addressing this morning on the programme and I welcome your thoughts and comments on uh, this on what was many people saw as a very historic day in uh, Croke Park yesterday but it was marred by now what is a fresh disciplinary controversy for the GAA it was Galway beating Armagh and Galway bet Armagh on penalties that in itself quite historic and it but it was an astonishing All-Ireland football quarter final and it went into extra time failed to separate the sides and that's why it went to uh, penalties and it's the first time a senior championship match was ever decided on a 
shootout. That in itself is causing debate as to should GA matches end in penalties. I've already seen uh, Jack from um, from Blarney uh, saying that penalty shootouts are for soccer matches. They're not for GAA matches. Would you agree with uh, that? But the aftermath of this match and what everybody's talking about today, and there's so much newspaper coverage on it, uh, what's been what uh, the, the dominant story is this mass brawl that broke out as both the teams were leaving the field. This was at the end of normal time. Now, they were all there was a draw at the end of normal time so the players were leaving the field to prepare for the extra time that would have to be uh, played and that's when this mass brawl or a melee uh, broke out there's various words being used for it other people will say a fight broke uh, out and of course we do know a player from each side then was subsequently uh, dismissed and TV footage then appeared to show very clear evidence of one Galway player a forward by the name of Damien Comer and he was being eye-gorged. The Galway manager said afterwards that he didn't see the incident obviously at the time but he he did address the wider row and said we came in at the end of normal time and there were ugly scenes. He said that shouldn't be happening, don't get me wrong but he said you can't just stand back and let the lads in on top of you. So he was almost saying that they're you know, defending what they did and, and you know looking at it, it it seemed a little bit like handbags at dawn at the start people pushing and shoving each other there didn't seem to be but the eye gorging was just incredible to witness and of course because it was on camera and it was shown over and over and over again it's the one that everybody is talking about and of course then if you were watching it as I was on TV the RTE you know they went back to the having a, a chat after the normal time while waiting for the players to come back for the extra time that needed to be played and the RTE pundit Pat Spillane he was scathing I mean he was incensed he was I thought he was going to pop a blood vessel at one stage he was so annoyed you know and he made a fairly valid point you know here we should be praising a great game of football but he said instead we're looking at this and he said shame on all the players involved and he called it out he was probably one of the first to say there was an eye gorging incident and he said that is terrible he said we've so many rules and regulations in Croke Park and then he said you send two teams running into the tunnel at the same spot for extra time. He said that is simply crazy. He said you had fellas who were not subs. Fellas will get red cards. But the possible eye gouging was done by a fella who's not even on the official panel. It's disgraceful. It's scandalous. Shame on all those involved. Now, I can see a couple of people calling out the name of the guy who was responsible for the eye gorging and I did see that on social media I did see that guy being called out I'm not going down the line of calling out who it was or or who it uh, wasn't because you know there was a lot on social media about this guy who they're claiming was responsible for the eye gorging and people should just be very careful of social media and attacks on social media and you know you just that sort of was I was a bit unsettled by that but if it can be if it's clearly noted that that is the it is the person and that it is it is identified as somebody who was attached to the Armagh team then I think the GAA have no choice but they have to do something it can't just be a slap on the back of the wrist and it'll be only time will tell how the GAA will handle this but your thoughts welcomed uh, throughout uh, the morning Uh, somebody has been Mary has been on already uh, saying on the issue of the match yesterday shocking it should have been stopped given both both teams should have been given the red card for six months for that behaviour. It was absolutely shocking. But then what would happen to the championship if you decided to dismiss 
both teams. I don't know how you'd get around that. I did when I saw two of the players being sent off. I did kind of think, how did the ref decide who who they were going to send out? Because so many people seemed to be involved in that belief. Again, it's one of those days where you kind of look and say. Who would be a referee or a linesman at a match like that? I will be coming back to that GAA uh, match. But uh, somebody else by WhatsApp saying, Patricia, did you see Paul McCartney? Sir Paul McCartney on stage on Glastonbury. Wasn't he amazing at the end of the day? He's an 80 year old man and he played for three hours flat out. I did see it and it, I didn't see the whole three hours now. But it was just, you knew you were watching something very, very special. And I was about to go to bed and the was an hour left and I just said I've got I've got to stay with this I've got to watch this because you knew in in many ways you knew you were kind of watching a bit of history uh, as well it was incredible they were expecting a hundred thousand people that's the capacity crowd at the pyramid stage but they reckoned 120,000 people crammed in to watch uh, Sir Paul uh, McCarthy which if it is confirmed that would be a new record for a headline act and of course he also set a record because at 80 he is the oldest headliner ever at uh, Glastonbury and it was to me one of the big moments was towards the end when he duetted with uh, the late John Lennon on a video screen on the 1970s track I've got a feeling I have to say it's a song that I didn't know I know a lot of the Beatles songs but that was one that I didn't know and it was seemingly the director Peter Jackson told Paul McCartney that he would be able to just isolate John's vocals of the original recording which gave Paul McCartney the opportunity one more time to sing with the late great uh, John Lennon and afterwards he says that was just so special to me I know it's virtual but there I was singing with John again we're back together and uh, he took you could see he took just a, a quiet moment to almost compose himself you know because he was singing it was as if John was just standing behind him uh, singing as well I thought that was really special and then genius of Paul McCartney to bring on uh, David Gray David Grohl of the Foo Fighters and the one and only Bruce Springsteen came on stage Bruce Springsteen incredible he's is he 72 73 as well he he really is unreal so yeah I did see it. I did see I did watch the, the him in Glastonbury it was amazing and of course that was on Saturday uh, and then on Sunday taking to the legend stage uh, was the wonderful Miss Diana Ross now there was there was a lot of criticism on social media of Diana Ross's and the voice is gone. Again, you're you're talking about somebody who had just celebrated, was it her 73rd birthday? She said she had recently uh, celebrated. So, you know, you have to appreciate. Same with Paul McCartney, you know, an 80 year old man. While, you know, his singing was great. It wasn't what it was when he was back when he was in his 20s singing with with the Beatles. But certainly at times, you know, poor old Diana Ross, it was almost as if she was out of key and she seemed to be losing time with the backing singers. But you still knew that you were watching this wonderful, wonderful legend who had waited three years to do this headline act at Glastonbury because remember they all signed up to play in what should have been 2019 and here they had to wait until 2022 so yeah I really enjoyed that uh, the, the Diana Ross as well uh, concert and talking of legends the one and only Elton John is playing Porky Creeve this uh, Friday 
And this is going to be quite a special affair indeed. And we can't let the moment pass without without John coming to town, without throwing what's going to be the biggest pre-party on Leaside. C103 are inviting you to come along and join us at the boardwalk at Tequila Jacks this Friday from four o'clock. And we'll be bringing the vibe for Elton John live. You can catch our own Ken Tobin along with the C103 street feet and there'll be freebies up for grabs. That's all at Tequila Jacks, the only place to be in Cork City before you head to Elton John this Friday and from 4pm with C103. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Recent weeks, many people are scratching their heads trying to work out why petrol and diesel prices at the pumps are so high given that the cost of a barrel of oil on the world market has reduced in price. Fianna Fáil TD for Cork North West, Deputy Michael Moynihan, is also questioning why, and he actually joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And, and you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, that breaking news about um, Paul Reid deciding to step down from a CEO of the HSE, does that come as a surprise to you? Well, it does. Um, you know... He was before our committee on the um, Disability Matters Committee uh, uh, two weeks ago uh, or thereabouts with the Minister. And, uh, you know, from the language that I looked at, uh, the body language, he looked at, uh, he gave the impression of a man that was in charge and would continue to be in charge and uh, had come off of a, a trip, as I understand it, a couple of days before it on the west of Ireland, going from different hospitals and uh, and HSE facilities. I, you know, having just heard the news, I was kind of reflecting on that and certainly uh, gave me no indication or, you know, or, you know, the body language or the conversation that was held that day gave no indication that he was even considering it. Yeah, and his comments this morning, I mean, there isn't a, a lot of information, just that he's, he's no immediate career plan. So it doesn't look like he's retiring and it doesn't look like he's got another job. That is a tough job, though. Well, it is a hugely difficult, challenging job, uh, you know, to manage the entire health service. And I suppose, you know, a lot of people over the last two years gave it their all to try and manage through a very difficult pandemic, uh, a, a huge amount of people. But it is a very, very challenging job and to get the right person uh, to, um, you know, I, I suppose in hindsight then when you reflect on the comments yesterday um, on the radio programme at lunchtime, but, you know, it is a very difficult job. It is a very challenging job. and But at the same time, you know, I think that there has to be you know, there's a lot of money being given to uh, the HSE. It, you know, I, I think you know if you're comparative countries, we can do a better job with the with the funding and the management of the HSE. There are huge challenges there. There are huge challenges, and it looks like if you don't keep making the noise about the particular challenges, whether it is in uh, acute hospitals, whether it is in, in uh, disabilities or wherever it is, you have to constantly keep, uh, you know, putting the spotlight where the challenges are. But, um, you know, I, I hadn't any indication of it. Or, or okay, and, and it won't be an easy position to fill, for, for, for sure. And at least he is staying on until Christmas so that there is time now to find somebody and the right person for the job. Absolutely. And the yeah. right person needs to be put in there because, you know, we need to make sure that 
the services in this country, um, it is hugely important that they're managed properly and that they are, um, you know, that the resources that are being put in there give a dividend for the citizens. Okay, and just as you mentioned disability uh, services, another story there that I picked up on over the weekend is the, the 700 vacancies in the child disability services. I mean, that woman that was on the TV with her little boy who needs uh, speech and language. We don't seem to be getting anywhere with filling those vacancies, Michael. We don't. And, uh, you know, I did put the point, uh, we were discussing the the Assistant Decision-Making Act in the Dáil recently. And I did make the point as well on, uh, in the committee, you know, if this was a situation where there was a huge multinational, uh, a, a, I suppose, a specialised multinational company coming in, there would be um, fairs right across the world trying to get people in to recruit people in to, to run that. And we haven't, uh, you know, we're, we're now looking at the challenges there and how where the gaps are within the system and how to ensure that we are attracting people First of all, people that we are educating and that they're that they're staying within the country, that their knowledge is staying within the country, and they get a sense of job satisfaction from what they're doing. And it is a real challenge that we know how many are short, what the shortcoming is, and how are we going to go after it. And we really have to put out there. You know, uh, in all countries, in Australia, where some of our people have gone, in America, and indeed in, 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 in other countries, and try and attract the best people in. And if they have the job satisfaction, you know, a lot of these people are very skilled and they're very capable, and they do get an awful sense of achievement also working with people with disabilities and I- I- encouraging them. And if we can get the right, uh, I suppose, attitude within the sector and also the right job satisfaction. A lot of people are, are, are leaving different sectors, you know, they're leaving the private sector for the public sector and the public sector for the private sector, which is not reflective in any other sector of society. And I think that we really, I suppose, I'd be constantly saying, do we know the scale of the problem? If we know the scale of the problem of how many we need to get, how are we going to step by step get there to make sure that we have these vacancies fulfilled and it is a crying shame that young people that people right across occupational therapy speech and language therapy that they can't get the services and they'll, they'll and never get those years back it is crucial and like you know I'm not you know I have said it several times uh, and on taking over the role as disability chair you know that this state will be held in damnation in relation to this they will not get it back and there is huge frustration out there to try and get uh, speech and language therapies and eat and occupational therapies and recruitment we need to make sure and in the section 39 organizations as well the, the pay parity uh, which I've been fighting for, and we are putting forward from our uh, well, from our disability committee, we are putting in a pre-budget submission to highlight the gaps that we have seen by families and and carers and people with disabilities that have come before us over the last twelve months and given their you know spill their own personal life stories to us, and we are basing it on that. And it is hugely important that there is a serious task because I believe that if we have the proper services. Uh, if we have the proper services and, you know, everybody is equal in a sense, like if somebody goes into Section 39 and they see that uh, in, in some other organisations they're getting better pay or conditions, they're not going to stay. And we yeah, of course sure they're going they, to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, very understandable. The, very, but like pay parity, uh, terms and conditions, what are the challenges? Oh, 
what's the shortfall? How do we make it up and how do we keep the best people uh, that are out there, how do we keep them in the services and that they get a sense of job satisfaction and a sense of self-worth and I suppose a sense of uh, of, of uh, being appreciated as well through the system. And that all has to be looked at. Attitude uh, has to be looked at to make sure that we are recruiting and that we're not losing people that who have trained in Ireland and I mean I was making the point in relation to you know the July provision that some of the people who are uh, in college uh, training as occupational therapists and speech and language therapists that they should be brought on board as well for the July provision so as that to give them you know it'll give them experience and it will give them some money because it'll be a job for them for for the summer as well Absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a win-win. It, it is a win-win oh. and it, it benefits everybody. Okay, let me go back to the topic that we invited you on about and this is to do with the price of petrol and diesel, something I think that everybody is talking about. You've taken a look at the price of a barrel of oil today and compared it to 2008 prices. What did you discover? Well, in June 2022, which is today, the price of a barrel of oil is uh, somewhere around $120 a barrel. And petrol is two hundred and two euros and eleven cent, um, two euros and eleven cent a liter at the pump. Okay. And if we go back to two thousand and eight, where the price of a barrel of oil was one hundred and thirty three dollars a barrel, that's thirteen dollars a barrel more than it is today, and the price of the liter of petrol was one euro and thirty cent. One euro and thirty cent. So you're talking about eighty one cent of a difference when the price of the barrel of oil was thirteen euros dearer. Okay, some of it will be explained away by by a strong dollar against the euro. Yes, there is some of it, but there, it, like you can't explain it by you know variance in currencies. You can't explain eighty one cent in the variance in currencies. You will have different challenges, in it. but. There is a there is a, a price discrepancy here, and we have seen you know even in the last fortnight from international that the price of the the barrel of oil has gone down, but it hasn't been reflected at the price of the pump. If it immediately goes up, it is immediately reflected, but it is not reflected on the downward cycle because people would have bought uh, oil at the uh, you know. Uh, at the four courts that would have bought it at a different side. But there is a discrepancy here. And I raised the issue last week in the doll in terms of how come that there's 81 cent of a difference between what it was back in 2008 and what it is today, even with the barrel of oil being 13 euros cheaper. And uh, the minister uh, uh, said that he would get back to me to, he would uh, liaise with his own department and the Department of Energy to, uh, you know, and I think this is fundamental to, like, their, the advice I'm getting is that the, do, the euro and the, and the dollar would maybe uh, talk about maybe 25, 30% of it. Like but not not, not that much of a difference. But then, no. but then, Michael, in this country, we do pay very high excise duties and taxes on every litre of petrol and diesel that we purchase. We do, and like you know, the government did reduce it by twenty cent and fifteen cent on diesel. Uh, it's at the lowest it has been ever. It's you know, if you do the comparison, we'd say from this time last year, there's about five cent, you know, more being taken by the government because of the redu- reduction. If all the excise, and I like. 
I, I hear it quite clearly. Like, and I, you know, I look at people that have travelling long distances, that are travelling every day of the week from places like Johalla, they're travelling into Cox City for work five days a week, and the cost, the extra cost that that has put on them, working families, on people that, you know, are constantly using the car and, you know, have have made decisions to say we're not going this journey or we're not going that journey because of the cost of it. But, the, you know, it is probably one of the most fundamental challenges on the entire cost of living at this stage is the price of oil, the price of diesel, the price of petrol. And excise, you know, I would love to see that the government say, right, well, based on you know, the current challenges that are facing families that we will reduce it further and to something that I will be looking at as we go into the October budget. I suppose the, 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 the vast that's a different battle that you know, with the European Commission rather than internally, but we can do that internally. But uh, the, that does not explain so, yeah, it still doesn't explain it, the difference. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, 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 and and of course the knock-on effect is everything is going up because of uh, we we we're an island nation. Transportation, everything has to be transported here. Manufacturing costs are going up because of the cost of fuel. So everything we're paying for has gone up in price. Everything, every single thing that is going up. Like I mean, if you were you're talking about what we're importing, what we're exporting, what we're importing, I suppose the cost of uh, one of the major challenges for people, for young couples when they're building their houses, to see the cost of material has gone up so much over the last while. Uh, You know, that's been brought in. A lot of it is being imported in. A lot of the raw material is being imported in, uh, and that is causing uh, a challenge for everyday life for everyday life, just for the ordinary everyday, it, it's costing more to transport it around uh, our country. Therefore, the cost of that is being passed on to the consumer and that is adding more pressure on the cost of living. And I suppose as we go in, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, the amount of people that are walking in this country, it has changed two years ago when we were at the at the height of COVID. Would the, the economy ever be able to bounce back? It has but the benefits of that have been eroded away by the cost of living. And every family, no matter who they are, you know, and I hear it every day of the week, we, you know, people that normally would be doing reasonably well and would be able to, but they are hugely challenged now in terms of cost of living. And I suppose oil, the cost of oil, the cost of diesel, the cost of petrol is fundamental to that. Okay, and just and just you finally, you know, your own party leader, Artisha, is adamant that there will be no help until the October budget. I mean, we're, you know, we've we've got all of July, all of August, all of September, and a portion of October. You could say the bones of four months to get through before any of those families that you're talking about are going to get any help. And even reading on the papers today, I mean, the Irish Examiner are leading with a front page uh, story talking about Bernardos who are talking about families buying cheap pajamas for their children to wear in daytime, families buying flip-flops so that they won't have to get another pair of shoes at the end of the summer. Children going around in shoes that are far too big for them and we're back to the day of hand-me-down clothes. Um, people are really struggling at the moment and yet we've a government saying, well, help is on the way but for some, that, that might come too late, Michael. Yeah, well, I, I suppose be the, the, the most expensive period for any uh, family, young families, or a family who's gone to college, gone to school, um, we are now entering that period. We're now entering that very expensive period for people. And uh, you know, I, last week we were raising this, you know, to bring forward early intervention. But they are saying that we need to make sure that we are doing it right. We have had three interventions already this year. 
and it still hasn't caught up with it. It still hasn't, you know, it, it died down at the time. There was a huge furore back in uh, in the early part of this year when the price of, of uh, petrol and diesel was heading for two euros a uh, litre at the pumps. It's now well over that. Uh, and what the intervention at that time, you know, saved it for a, a very small period of time. But we, what we really need is a very comprehensive suite of measures that's really going to target, not just target across the board. You know, we really need to target people that are struggling, people that have challenges. And And people that are struggling now. I mean, you're a member of government, Michael. You sound very disillusioned this morning. Well, uh, I suppose I do feel, um, I, I do hear and feel the challenges that people have on a daily basis. And uh, you know, we uh, coming out of the European uh, Commission meeting there recently. You know, they were talking about the challenges we're going to be facing the the winter ahead. The challenges are there in terms of energy and uh, cost of living, and people are hurting. People are very, very hurting on it. And I, you know, I, I I suppose I would love to be able to say right. We, you know, we would have some immediate input. I would rather to make sure that we have a suite of measures that really because. This is not going to be, you know, we thought back in, in, in early, in, in, in the 24th of February, that the war was going to be a short period of time. It looks now, and from where I stand, it looks like we are looking into a longer period. So we have destabilization right across the world. And with that, we have families who have commitments, who have mortgages, who have loans for cars, who have loans for, for families going to school and going to college. And they are really challenged. And what we need to do is to make sure that we tackle that and tackle it in a very meaningful way uh, to make sure that whatever impact, whatever we are going to do is going to have a real impact on the people that need it most. Okay, all right. And so say all of us. Listen, we leave it there, Michael. Uh, Thank you for that. And we appreciate you taking time to talk to us this morning. Good morning to you. That is Cork Northwest Doll Deputy for Fianna Fáil, Michael Moynihan, 0818 103 103. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. According to reports this morning, the GAA is set to launch another high-profile disciplinary investigation after yesterday's historic All-Ireland Senior Football Championship quarter-final between penalty winners Galway and losers Armagh which was besmirked by an ugly brawl at the end of normal time to cast his views over proceedings. Our GAA reporter Finbar McCarthy uh, joins me. Good morning to you Finbar. Yeah good morning Patricia. Okay your own thoughts on what happened yesterday. Uh, it's, it's just a pity it happened because it, it took away from what was probably the best game of football we've seen in many many years. Drama right to the death pardon the pun, right to the end. And, you know, all the talk this morning on most radio and social media is what happened uh, after the game, the, the melee between the players, which is unsavoury and unnecessary and certainly didn't do anything for the image of our association. Why do both teams exit the pitch together? I mean, because th- that's what got to me. Tensions are high at that stage. Um, yeah. You, uh, surely we should be trying to keep them apart. Well, without a doubt, and I, I would imagine going forward, that's what's going to happen. I, I see lots of people making that comment. There are, there are dressing rooms on both sides of Crow Park, and for whatever reason, they decide uh, 
Normally the teams in the first game come out from the Cusick stand side and the teams in the second game come out from the Hogan stand side. So what I will see going forward when there are double headers of that magnitude that one they'll, they'll both come out from opposite sides. And ironically, below in Parky Keeve, there are separate uh, tunnels for, for the, the teams. There's one team comes out nearer the city end and the other side, Cork generally come out near the city end and Limerick, or whoever they're playing, I should say, come out near the, the Blackrock end. So Cork have got that bit right where there are two separate entrances and exits for the teams. So it's something that's look for, that, that I'm sure will change going forward. And it's about time because, look, it's not the first occasion that there's been brawls with teams exiting, exiting Crow Park and it, it, it's unnecessary. Do you think there should be very severe penalties for those involved? I and I, I, I don't think we British I, I I'd imagine there will. And and we are, I just heard you speaking there with Ken earlier about the eye the eye gouging incident. Mm. That that was appalling altogether and the lad involved uh, certainly is facing a b a ban. And I would imagine even though I am out and there's separate bands between into county and club. Now, if you're sent off in into county, you only punish for into county. But I would imagine this individual. I don't know the lad's name. I, I saw, it, but I can't remember it. I think he'll get a time ban, which will probably l- rule him out of uh, his club activity for the foreseeable future, and rightly so, because it, apart from yeah, I think you know, very, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think a message does uh, certainly does have to, you know, because I, I can see we've low lots and lots of people uh, commenting on the on this, uh, and including this is summing up a comment that a lot of mothers and dads are making this morning. Lisa Mallow was on to say her two children play GAA at underage, and for them watching this on a Sunday afternoon, she sort of says, "What kind of an example?" does this give to younger players because they look up to these older players yeah without a doubt I couldn't agree more Patricia I mean it sends out the complete wrong signal we know there's going to be tension we know there's going to be belts we know there's going to be bangs in the game it's part and parcel of the game but that sort of carry on you cannot condone it and I just hope that the GA and I'm sure they will they'll take severe action and I would imagine even though the APU process might be used by some I think for everyone's sake in this case the player and the Armagh County Board to just accept their punishment, move on and, and try and forget about what was an unforgettable day in that aspect of what was a great game of football. Uh, OK, and then the other one that we're getting commentary in on was the fact that it ended up in a penalty shootout. We've had uh, already this morning Jack from Blarney saying penalties are for soccer. They're not for a GAA uh, match. And now I was reading in the papers that it's the, fir- it's the first ever Croker penalty shootout in a senior championship football uh, because somebody somebody already said that there there was another one um it's the there, there there was another match that ended up in a shootout anyway uh, regardless of that it, 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 a penalty shootout is is it the way to go no, I don't think so. I, I was always against it. I think it's the third penalty shootout this year. Uh, Clare and Limerick in football back in Ennis, the, the Munster Football Championship, and the Munster Minor Hurling Final went to a penalty shootout, which I think for 17-year-olds was scandalous. 17-year-olds, uh, when there's plenty of them. First of all, we should just trace this back, uh, Patricia. Penalty shootouts and games finishing on the day came in in the first year of covid to ensure that the competitions would finish. Okay. And they were retained then last year and retained again this year for the split season. But I don't see, particularly at this stage of the championship, I can understand earlier in the year when they tend to, if the first round match ends up in a, a draw after extra time, you might have to go to penalties, given the time frame. But when you consider that next weekend it's the two Hurling semi-finals, and our man Galway could have they needn't have played in Crow Park they could have played somewhere else there's plenty of big stadia around and maybe the 
the ge- geographic geography might be an issue, but I didn't see any need for penalty shootouts yesterday. After all, these guys are amateur players, and it's a cool way oh, to lose yeah, a match. It, and it, to be it, fair, it really is. It is, yeah. And to be fair to um, the Galway manager, Party Joyce, I, I saw his interview after the and he was genuinely, genuinely, and you know, Lofus, oh, he both said that he won, but he was genuinely upset for, for the way the, the competition went, and I, I felt the same. I think it deserved another. It, it, uh, remember, Galway hadn't played for four weeks because they were the provincial champions who went for the qualifiers. So I'm sure they would have been dead of another week next, another game next weekend to, to keep them sharp for win or lose. And I, I just think it's something that the GA should look at, and particularly yeah. at underage level. I felt it was so cruel. I, I think it was the Clare Hurlers last, or I can't remember who lost the, the minor hurling final. But it, it's it was a, it was not, a penalty it's not, it's not the way to go. Do you, do, do you feel Galway were the better team? Uh, they probably were on the balance of power, on the balance of the game. I thought the Galway goalkeeper could have done better for a couple of the goals that he conceded, and um, I thought Galway. But they had their own. They were the arguments of their own misfortune coming near the end. They had a, they were a point up time. The clock was in the red, and Shane Wise tried an outrageously silly pass across the field. It was intercepted, and all credit to Ryan O'Neill. He landed equaliser. But I think Galway should have won in ordinary time. Okay, and of course our season here in Cork over. <laughs> Except for the ladies, of course. Except for the ladies, yeah, <laughs> go on. Yeah, to be fair, the Cock Ladies Football is a great win on Saturday above in Port Leash, which was crazy altogether, taking Cork and Warford up to Port Leash. Okay, it was on television, but when you consider there was two football matches on as well, I just think it was crazy. Cork actually had two home games this year, Patricia, uh, Patricia and they ended up playing both of them away. Circumstances they they facilitated Donegal last week and television brought themselves in Waterford all the way to Port Leash. The Camogie team already qualified for the semi final. The intermediate Camogie team were beaten in Derry yesterday, but they're they're playing next weekend and if they win or a draw, they'll qualify. So we leave it to the ladies for the rest of the year. Okay. We say well done we say well done to all the men because they gave us a great season. They did indeed. They Could have been better, but look we take what we have. OK, listen, Finbar, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thanks uh, for joining us. That is our GAA reporter, uh, Finbar McCarthy. Let me just take a, a quick look at some of your comments coming in with regard to the match and the melee. Pat Infamoy said when the players were going off at normal time, why did they even go off the pitch? They were going to have to play for another 20 minutes. Why could they not have gone to the corners of the pitch uh, when they exited, both teams exiting down the same uh, tunnel? Utter madness. Surely they could control this if they were to send both teams down the tunnel, then send one down first and then allow the other uh, team down. Why with the background team on the pitch as well? Discipline must come into this. Karen in Ballinhasic suggests a lifetime ban should be given here. It would deter this from happening into the future. Aidan in Kladov says, in the heat of the moment uh, of the match, this happens. I feel a match ban for the next number of games for the players involved, that would be sufficient. That it has to be said after the game, after full time and after the penalty shootout, players were swapping jerseys and going around shaking hands. So I 
feel it was very much in the heat of the moment. And in Toker said if this happened on the street, this is the eye gouging incident, the person would probably be arrested and certainly would end up in the district court. Why should it be any difference just because it was on the side of a GAA uh, pitch? And Tony in Rathgormack totally agrees with an earlier texter saying both teams should have been completely given the red card and the, the rest of the match should have been uh, scrapped. And Melissa, Melissa on Twitter to at C103 Cork. Anyone that knowingly sticks their fingers into somebody's eyes is disgusting, sport or no sport. Imagine worst case scenario, blinding someone or damaging their eyesight for life all over a game of football. It is simply unbelievable. 0818-103-103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Michael has a comment on, before I get back to a lot of commentary still coming in about the GAA match uh, yesterday, but just on a completely different topic and one I was going to touch on in the programme today. And this was the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the States and the shock uh, that that they've decided to overturn the decision in the courts in the state states. Uh, Michael says Patricia Hyde, the protection of Roe versus Wade is not controversial by the majority of the American public. Upwards of eighty percent in opinion polls were in favour of leading leaving Roe versus Wade in place. The majority of people now who will be impacted by these abortion bans are black, they're Latino, and they're other communities of colour, and they're in the main people in the lower socioeconomic uh, group. It's not over yet says Michael. Michael feels no man should have the right to tell any one woman what to do with their body. Nobody should tell a doctor how to treat his patient. Roe versus Wade protected a woman's right to choose. Her right to make intensely personal decisions with her doctor. It reaffirmed the basic principles of equality and it reinforced the fundamental right to privacy the right of every American to choose how to live their lives. And that should also be the case in any democratic society. Thanking you. Uh, and of course, it is in this uh, country uh, due to a very hard fought, fought uh, ref- referendum and at times a very controversial referendum. And it wasn't the first referendum that we had in this country before there was the introduction of uh, abortion. So we now are many people would say a safer country for women today than they are in America because of the overturning of Roe versus uh, Wade. Thank you for your thoughts on that Michael 0818 103 103 and as I say still lots of commentary and talk coming in about the match yesterday and the way it ended at the end of full uh, time. Hi Patricia, shocking scenes in Croke Park, in Croke Park yesterday. This is from Mary by WhatsApp. I'd say it's been shown on other channels around the world. The Fighting Irish. The big fat cats in Croke Park need to get off their behinds and do their homework. Naturally, the players were riled up when they were heading for the tunnel for extra time. The testosterone would have been flowing. It only needs one, and I can't use that person, so one player to say or start something. The GAA should have separate exits to the changing rooms for the players. They're all good friends, really. But when it comes to playing for your club or for your county, it's a very, very different story. It was a great match. I couldn't take my eyes off it. The GAA would have made a fortune if they'd gone with a replay. Get rid of those penalties. There's no place for penalties in GAA. Also, Kerry and Mayo. They had to wait far too long to get on for their match. Where were the security uh, yesterday? There was no plan made for a full house yesterday. 
yesterday. God help us all. The supporters got value for money because they got a good match and then they, wa- they got to watch a big fight at the end, says Mary. And actually, I did think of the, the Mayo and... Uh, Kerry lads and they would be all nervous in advance of going out to play as well like they had an extra delay while everything got sorted out before we went into that extra time and then of course they had to go to the penalties as well. Thank you for your WhatsApp Mary and says Patricia didn't see the fight yesterday but I think whoever started it and the gorging of the eyes was absolutely disgusting. They need urgent treatment. If they can do something like that, especially when drink and drugs were not involved and couldn't be used as an excuse. If one of my family were involved, I would be absolutely disgusted with them. The game should have been cancelled immediately and those who started it fined and never be allowed to play again, says Anne. Very strong in her beliefs on the sanctions that should be passed down. Uh, thank you for that, Anne. A regular listener by text says on the Galway Armagh match, the dogs on the street knew that the Northern Ireland team of Armagh are dirty players. Everybody knows that, Patricia. They must clean up their act. That comes in from a regular listener. Morning, Patricia. People that... Oh, sorry, that's something different. Hi, it's the second game this year that Armagh have been involved in carry-on like what we witnessed yesterday. It's time the GAA took action. Also, in that game, a player got a red card for a tackle. The same as the Galway player on Seamus Harnady last weekend. And yet Cork didn't even get a free that's from uh, Mick and I suppose it depends on what the actual referee and the other officials see at the time but it does seem unfair if Mick is right and it was the very same type of tackle and you can a week later have somebody getting a red card and yet when it happens to a Cork player not even a a free given Hi Patricia I think both teams should be thrown out of the championship and Derry should have been given the bye instead appalling sight for children to watch and there's a number of people actually commenting on that a number of particularly families who are watching it at home and children who are into the GAA and you know play as players and they look up you know these they're heroes and they see people go out wearing their county colours and just one final one from Mike the football fight was making the news in the States yesterday evening oh somebody was saying that I wonder did it I didn't realise that what a name we are giving ourselves. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who was waiting to board a flight from JFK Airport to Dublin. He was ashamed to be Irish with the bad language that he was overhearing from a group of Irish lads that were sitting in the waiting lounge, obviously also waiting to board the flight to uh, Dublin. Yesterday's incident with the football match is another example. The GAA must take action and not sit on its hands, says Michael. According to our own Finbar McCarthy, our GAA correspondent, who's really a man in the know, he reckons there will be very, very stiff and severe penalties indeed. So let, let, we'll let the GAA do their thing because they have launched now an official investigation. But just on that other, I hate to think that they, they were watching that in the States and I don't know if it made any of the any of the UK channels or not. It probably did. It probably did. But yeah, it's just not the kind of the scenes that you want seen being beamed around the world, uh, is it? But just on the other issue of the bad language, is that an Irish thing or something? Do we curse a lot more than other nationalities because even I've noticed um don't know how many people are watching Love Island it's kind of one of those things that one of those guilty pleasures I have during the summer season because there's nothing else on the TV and you kind of once you start watching it you just get hooked into it and then you're watching it every night there's almost a sense of relief at the end when it's over because you don't have to be tied to the TV every night at nine o'clock anyway that's that's beside the point but there's a lovely young Irishman in Love Island this year uh, Dammy 
is his name, a dub by all, I, I'm taking it by his accent. And I have noticed that he seems to be the only one in the Love Island Villa that's using bad language. And, you, and obviously they're trying to do their best to edit out a lot of his bad language, but it just flows out of him. It's almost like it's almost like a natural thing. And I'm wondering, is that something with us, the Irish? Do we curse? Do we use swear words more than other nationalities? It's interesting that that person noticed it at JFK and embarrassed because the language must, there must have been a lot of bad language and it must have been overheard by a lot of people if this man was actually feeling a bit uncomfortable about being Irish himself. Your thoughts welcomed on that. That's just a complete aside to what we have been uh, talking about. 0818-103-103. And just on when the breaking news that we got this morning that Paul Reid has announced and it has come as a complete shock that he's standing down as CEO of the HSE. He'll stand down in December and he's given his notice now to give time for somebody new to be found. Tough, tough job, I can tell you on that. Um, uh, some, just some people in on this. Uh, Patricia Paul Reid calling it a day and not a word about his last pay increase in his wages. Well, they'll kick in on the 1st of July. That's the Fempy cuts that they're getting back. I wonder what his final walkaway package will be. That's from Joe in uh, Mitchellstown. Well, the fact that he's leaving the job, I don't know. Is there is there going to be a walkaway is there going to be, uh, he'll certainly have his pension, but that won't, I don't know when that is actually going to uh, kick in. But yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the amount of money that Paul Reid is actually paid. But that's the wage packet that goes with that job. And I'm assuming that the new guy taking over, our new gal taking over, will be on the same uh, pay. And a regular list says, morning, Patricia, people who worked during the pandemic and who are not receiving social welfare, not receiving fuel uh, allowance, they, to me, are the ones that have been hit the most. And that's from a uh, regular uh, listener that's kind of squeezed uh, uh, middle. OK, I want to go back to what happened at the GAA uh, match. S- uh, Suzanne joins me. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Hi, Patricia. How are you I'm, today? I'm not too bad. Now, you're one of the parents whose children play. Is it GAA? Well, so I suppose, Patricia, you know, I've listened to the conversation and and I can't offer anything as regards what, what should happen. I think it was appalling, but I suppose my point was my children are grown up now, but they were highly, highly involved in GAA and I would have been involved as a coach myself. And what I noticed about GA is it is wonderful. Don't get me wrong, it is wonderful. But they very rarely teach children how to lose. When when they lose a match, they throw their hurlies and they get very angry. And that whole thing of learning how to lose, learning how to be gracious, learning then to congratulate the other team if they've won and shake their hands, I very rarely saw that when I was involved in GA. And I think what happened yesterday... We need to look at going back to very junior club level where children are taught to congratulate when someone has won, to shake hands, to learn how to lose and go back and fight another day. Because I think that's where it starts. It's all about winning. I know there was a comment that the two teams should come out at either end. Mm. Why should they come out at either end? They're adults. They're setting an example. You don't see that in a rugby match. You see in a rugby match where they line up, yeah. one congratulates the other, you see, and then they well, all run around yeah, and you, they congratulate. Yeah, you, 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 see, you see the exact opposite in, in rugby. Yeah, and, and you know, why, why is 
that different, you know, because they've been taught from a very, very early age, you've lost, move on, learn from it, congratulate the other team, have a bit of dignity and respect. I don't unfortunately see that in GAA. And yes, I, I don't know what's going to happen with, with those teams, I just thought. But to me, they need to, I suppose, step up, act like adults, realise they are examples to our young people and, and act accordingly. It's it's appalling what happened. Yeah. But the GAA need to, to stand back and say, well, why is this happening? Yeah, what be- is the reason this is happening that our, our senior players who are there I think that's a really, really good and a valid point. Teach children how to lose as well as how to win. Okay. All right. Well done, Suzanne. Thank you for that. Good point. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text. You can WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. C one zero three jobs. Store manager wanted at Casey's Food Store. It's on Oliver Blunker Street in Cork. CVs to Bernie.Hennessy at Casey's.ie. Longerville House in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a part-time bookkeeper. CVs to info at Longervillehouse.ie. Site operatives with welding ability wanted. The number to call is 85 9579859 and community employment roles are available in Milford, Dromina, Liscarroll and Churchtown, Tully Lees, Newton Chandram and Fremont. If you're interested in any of those positions, call 085 866 4039. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A former RTE news reporter, Charlie Bird, has stolen the hearts of the nation since going public with his motor neuron disease diagnosis. And so many people were behind him and supported him with his Climb with Charlie fundraising initiative on April the 2nd. Going one step further, Charlie has just published a book commemorating the day itself and with the help of using his special voice bank Charlie joins me this morning to discuss in his own words what the day meant to him Charlie can you start by outlining to us how you came up with the idea of climbing Patrick, and when you decided to make it a public event The idea of climbing Patrick was not exactly a spur of the moment decision I have been in a WhatsApp group called The West Awake, comprising of Tommy Gorman, Michael Lally, Sean O'Rourke, Joe O'Brien, Ray Burke, and now the late Jim Fahey. All of the gang were my colleagues. And while I was going through the early part of my illness, before it was identified, all of my colleagues were supportive of me and we had been planning a walk or a climb. So when Ryan Tuberty asked me what was on my bucket list, I blurted out I would love to climb Crowe Patrick. Little did I know when I said that it would turn into a sort of national event. And did it come together very quickly and did it come together very easily? Well, in a way, it did come together very quickly and easily. At first, I brought on board Paul Allen, who has his own public relations company. Both of us have cockapoo dogs and we used to meet up during the pandemic for a walk. So he helped me get the whole project up and running. Then the two charities came on board as well. And we got a whole team of volunteers who offered us their help and they were all magnificent. The group of volunteers put their heart and soul into Climb with Charlie. And on the day itself, were you really surprised at the turnout, Charlie? 
Oh my God, yes, I was totally blown away by the support on the day not only at Croke Patrick, but as I have said already right across Ireland and abroad. When we first met the local community in Marlis, they were concerned at the numbers that might turn up on the day of the climb. So at the suggestion of the local guard inspector, Dennis Harrington, who is now a good friend, we asked people to also climb in their own local area. And that is exactly what happened. In the end we had a staggering numbers of climbs all over Ireland and abroad. I keep repeating this. People tell me I am inspirational. But I say it was the people who went out walking and climbing were the real inspirations. How did you feel as you were climbing towards the top? Well I was totally blown away at the size of the number of people who were climbing with me. Yes my family and friends were with me. But what was so beautiful was the community spirit on the day. Strangers fell into step with each other and walked and chatted together. Yes, there were parts for me where I found the climb very emotional. People who were on their way back down were stopping me and asking for a photo. I was more than happy to do so. I would say I had hundreds of photographs taken. At one stage, halfway up the mountain, there were children from Brakloon National School waiting for me and cheering me on. I cried my eyes out while I was standing among them. To be honest, the whole day was an emotional roller coaster for me, and I cried even more when I reached the summit greeted by the Clue Bay Pipe Band. I tried to bow my head and hide my tears, but I could not hide the tears streaming down my face and everyone including Ryan Tuberty and Daniel O'Donnell, my grandchildren, were wrapping their arms me to try and comfort me. Oh my God, I will never forget those moments as long as I live. Many of your current and former colleagues, of course, joined you on the day. Were you surprised by some of them that did turn up? Yes, I had many of my former newsroom colleagues, indeed from all across Montrose, climbing with me. My great pal George Lee, who worked with me on the banking stories, couldn't climb because of a serious back injury, but he promised that he would come down to Westport and Merlis to support me and he was true to his word. And there were so many former colleagues on the climb, I won't name them all because I might leave out someone. But the Director General, D. Forbes, also climbed with us. Yes, it was a big surprise when I realised that so many of my colleagues were prepared to climb the reek to support me. What was just as uplifting lots of colleagues who couldn't make it down to Croke Patrick met up in Half on that Saturday morning and walked Half Head as a gesture of support. At the top, it really became almost like a party. Did you expect or know anything about that? Yes, there were so many highlights on the day of the climb. But reaching the summit and hearing the music of the Clue Bay Pipe Band booming out across the mountain top was just so remarkable. They were playing Raglan Road for me. The cheering and the chanting was just so mind-blowing. And everyone who was there told me afterwards that those moments on the top of the reek will live with them forever. The history of Krogh Patrick goes back over a thousand years, but the local people told me that on that day we made our own bit of history that forever will now be in the annals of the Holy Mountain. And you are correct, it turned into a bit of a session which had never been planned. The great Matt Molloy had brought his flute with him and he joined in playing with the Clue Bay Pipe Band. There were over 40 members of the band and they were making their own bit of history. They had never played at the top of the reek before. And yes, just conjured this image up the wonderful Daniel O'Donnell singing a Bruce Springsteen song for me. Dream Baby Dream. Wow. Now I understand the parish priest, he was the person who co-opted Daniel O'Donnell into becoming the MC for the event at the summit. I met Daniel O'Donnell for the first time in my life when we were both guests on the Late Late Show. As I was walking into the studio and was leaving we shook hands and he told me he was thinking about me and my illness. But as I was leaving at the end of the show I was passing him on the corridor and stretched out his hand and pressed something in my hand. 
It is a moment and a gesture I will never forget as long as I live. And yes, Daniel did sort of end up being the MC on the top of Crow Patrick on the day of the climb. It wasn't planned. It sort of just happened. But what was planned by my wife Claire was Daniel singing a Bruce Springsteen song for me. Yes, Daniel singing Dream Baby Dream on top of Ireland's holy mountain. Yes, you might have to pinch yourself, but it was for real. Maybe Brucey would meet both of us next May when he is here. But as I was stumbling back down the mountain, everyone I met was saying the same thing. They were blown away by what happened on the top of the reek. They had never witnessed anything like it before. But in the same breath they also remarked on a side of Daniel they had never seen before. My message about Daniel is very simple. I have now got a lovely new friend who is a remarkable human being. And at the end of the climb itself, what were you feeling and what were you thinking? When the climb was over and we were back down at the base with my family and friends, I was elated. The whole climb went so smoothly. I went back to the hotel to rest for a while and soak my bones. I was looking at my iPad to see how it had been covered by the media. The coverage was amazing and it was wall to wall. I also saw that both the President Michael D and the Taoiseach had both tweeted the support for the climb not only just on Crow Patrick but right across the country. All our team of volunteers and myself we knew we had done something very special. But there was one sad note when we heard that a lady climbing the Galtimore Mountains had passed away. When I got the details that Cora O'Grady had taken out, I tweeted our condolences to her family and friends. Now the reaction and the funds raised have been just off the charts, uh, Charlie. Did you imagine that it would become such a national thing? When we started working on this whole project and the volunteers were coming on board to help me, and especially when we set up the Donate website, in the back of my mind I was hoping that if the gods were smiling down on us, we might reach raising half a million euro. Then as more and more climbs were being announced right across the country and abroad, I felt more confident that we might reach the target of one million euro. Indeed, I have to admit I had some sleepless nights worrying about everything, including that the weather might be bad on the day of the climb down on Crow Patrick. Also, each evening I would look up the Climb with Charlie website and see the running total of the amount of money being raised. Yes, each day it was getting bigger and bigger. And also more and more well-known people were lending their support for Climb with Charlie. I couldn't believe it when I saw that Bono was offering part of one of his songs for us to use to help promote the climb. And then more good news, Dunn's stores, also Supermax were also rowing in behind us. And then I began to worry less and less. And well before the climb we had hit the one million figure raised and it was still climbing. At one point I reached out to a number of well-known business people to see if they might financially support us. And yes within a short space of time we had another quarter of a million euro going into our coffers. So finally I realised the whole climb was turning into a national event. How much have you raised so far? Well now we have reached the grand total of money just over three, a quarter of a million euro raised. Yes you have heard me correctly, three million euro and another quarter of a million euro. There is still a few more euro to come in before we wind down this phase of climb with Charlie. And tell me a bit about the book. It seems to have come together almost as quickly as the event did. Well, after the climb was over, there were some amazing photographs in all the newspapers taken on the day of the climb. And we had asked people on the other climbs around Ireland and abroad to send us pictures as well. Then I got the idea of doing a sort of coffee table book of all the climbs. I had worked with the Marian Press and Connor Graham on my book A Day in May about the marriage equality referendum. And I contacted Connor and asked him if he would be interested in doing a book. And to be honest, without hesitation, he came back and said he would love to do it. 
Myself, Claire and Tiger went down to Nas to discuss the project with Connor. He said the sooner the better we get the book out and let's go for it. Then he set a target of a few weeks to have all the photographs in. Claire, my wife, took on the role of tracking down all the photographers, all the photos from all around Ireland and abroad. To be honest, she was working day and night, but thanks to Claire, we finally made the deadline of getting all the photographs. Connor and his team at Marion Press then pulled it out of the bag, and yes, here we are now with the book going on sale within the next week. And finally, Charlie, where can people buy the book and who will actually benefit from it? Well, the book Climb with Charlie will be on sale in most bookstores. Also, because of my growing relationship with the Heffernan family, it will also be on sale in all Dunn store shops around Ireland. And all the profits from the book will go to the Climb with Charlie Fund, hopefully will formally hand it over to the two charities, Pieter and the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association, in the next couple of weeks. People keep coming up to me and telling me I am an inspiration. Well, for me, the real inspiration are the people from all over Ireland and abroad who have been extending the hand of friendship. There you go. That's a rather special interview that we conducted with Charlie Bird using his voice uh, machine. And it's just like uh, talking to Charlie. It's, it's just, it's, you know, you barely notice that it's the isn't technology just amazing that it can reproduce his voice uh, like that. So our thanks to uh, Charlie Bird and his book Climb with Charlie, as he says, goes officially on sale uh, this uh, week. I mean, three and a quarter million euro have been raised so far. And obviously the proceeds from this book that will be added to that and then it gets divided between uh, the Motor Neuron, Neuron Disease Association and uh, Pieta uh, House and it was lovely during the course of that chat with Charlie to hear him mention and to remember Cora O'Grady and of course Cora O'Grady very much one of our own who died on Galtimore on that day on the 2nd of April may she rest in peace and our thoughts very much with her children and her extended family. So do look out for the book Climb with uh, Charlie and there's a great picture of Charlie on the front of it along with walkers streeling along uh, behind him on the climb. It's a, it's a terrific photograph and sums up I think what the day meant to uh, him. Uh, the wonderful Charlie Bird. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103 Court Today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie number of topics to discuss in our monthly insurance slot today with Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance Group. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, we start this morning with advice to people who own Japanese imported vehicles. Can you just explain the background to this? There has been a rise in the theft of these cars. There's been a huge rise in the theft of these cars, which is disproportionate to the theft of, uh, shall we say, cars normally uh, purchased in Ireland. Uh, and that's mainly because seemingly that these Japanese imports, in, and they are Japanese imports in the main, may I stress, that they do not have immobilizers fitted to them. Uh, all the cars that you buy now, even second-hand cars up to about eight years old, maybe even 10 pushing 10, I'd say at this stage, have immobilizers fitted to them. So um, it, it's a safety device um, that prevents the, the theft of your car, but the, the Japanese imports do not have them. So that's number one. I'm, not, I'm really not talking about the people that have them already. You just need to be careful. Uh, we might be going back to, you remember, we used to t- tie chains around the steering. Yeah, yeah. Like that, back in the 80s. Well, 
we don't want to be going back there but I think those people just need to you know it's just something that you don't think about and we're seeing the rise of it and people are very distressed as a result of it so that's number one and the the insurance implications then there are insurance and here are the insurance implications not for the people that have them and that's why I want to stress that so if you have one and you're insured don't worry about it just try and make sure you have the safety precautions fitted but if you don't have one and you're thinking of buying one Here's where the problem lies, and that's because we have no insurer currently willing to insure Japanese imports. Ah, so you and could purchase a problem. car and then discover you can't get insurance on it. Correct. So I'm, I, I think I've said it several times before, uh, and, it, and especially true of people coming on for the first time. There could be foreign people who, who, you know, they just get their learner permit, young drivers as well and then they see this and it looks a nice car and you know what it looks like a Micra or it looks like a, an Avensis or something like that or a Corolla and it, it, sure it's not the problem is and we've had several problems with them the parts are different the windscreen doesn't fit the exhaust system is different all the different parts in them it's amazing that they're made by the same companies in Japan but the parts don't fit them here properly, and they, it, it costs a huge uh, extra amount for to to, to repair them. And if you have a, a simple thing, uh, we do all our windscreens there with Mr. Windscreen, and they tell us it's a huge problem. We tell them it's a Micra. They go out and they say, Paul, it's not a Micra. It's like a Micra, but it's not a Micra. It's a Japanese import, and this windscreen will not fit it. Wow, so buyer beware for it. Buyer for sure. beware no but, and they're, yeah. they're, they're hugely popular, obviously, because the rise in the cost of second-hand vehicles at the moment, uh, a, a second-hand vehicle that two years ago was 10000 is probably worth 12000 yeah. now, and now, maybe more. And this, this is something we all need to be aware of. And actually, it was only something that I touched on personally myself uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was sorting out car insurance. And I, I just said I'd check the value of the car and it, it, while I have the car about three years, it's actually gone up in if in, in price from what I paid for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so amazing. obviously then when, when you're no, taking out insurance, you need to know how much your car is worth. You do. And this is what we had taken, we'd say for the last 10 years, we had forgotten all about the value of cars. Insurance companies had said to us, Asha, we know what the value of a car is. However, the value of a car has now increased. So we're saying to people at renewal date, please make sure that you up the sum insured. Because if you read the small print, it's the value of the car that you've given them at the, at the time of taking out the policy or at renewal. So please, we're, we're having arguments with insurance companies and with, with the lots of, lots of engineers who are coming out saying, look, it's worth more than that. And they're saying, well, it's only insured for 10000 So... People need to look at that. Okay, and so don't be underinsured because that's be un- that's don't be under. There's nothing. There's nobody now. In the old days, they used to charge so much per thousand euros. That day is gone. When you're talking to your broker, when you're talking to your insurer, and there are plenty brokers with plenty insurers out there. Please just ask the question. And, and and don't take no for an answer. There's the, the you you know I increased the value of somebody's car there on Friday from ten to fourteen and a half thousand at their request, and there was no extra charge for that. Okay, all right, that's that, that's a good point to make as well. Now on insurance reform, everybody is waiting and hoping for uh, insurance reform. There was two high court appeal cases for more pie up compensation that was lost. Uh, yep. You're expecting more of those appeals. 
Well, there's, I know of three differently, and I'm told of a fourth, and there could well be more. These are appeals of cases that were adjudicated under the new PIAB rules, which is part of the insurance reform. So whiplash, for example, was reduced down. Uh, minor injuries, soft tissue injuries, and there's been two challenges to cases already where the, where the, the amounts that were awarded by PIAB have been rejected. This is a vital uh, this is a vital cog in the wheel now in insurance reform. We need these cases all to be won by the state but to be won by Poyab because then Poyab becomes the, the rate book in Poyab then becomes law. Yeah, we need it, more people to start accepting the compensation that they've been offered from Poyab. Correct. The number of people accepting the, the awards from Poyab has gone down. And that's because they're being advised by the solicitors, wait until you see how these appeals go, we'll challenge them, and you could well be throwing away money. So the amount, the amount of these appeals uh, has risen. Uh, two of them were, have been won in the last few weeks, which is great. One from the point of view, or lost from the point of view of the appeal, one from the point of view of POIAB, which means that no, the POIAB book of quantum stands. The offer was a reasonable offer. Correct. There's three or four more to go. And then, of course, you could you could be looking at a Supreme Court case. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't be at all surprised that there would be a Supreme Court case. So the timing, we just need to, this to move on. Uh, when you're talking to politicians about this, uh, we need to be saying to them, lads, we need to get this moving. This needs to be faster. This ne- we need certainty to this. We need to put yeah. an end to the uncertainty. If there's one thing insurance companies, insurance underwriters, they hate uncertainty. Mm. So we've got to take that away. Yes, prices are dropping, but they could be dropping more. And yes, the insurance companies are saying to us, yes, there is more, provided we can get this certainty included. So we need that to move on. And it will make a difference, uh, Paul, to all of us if these excessively high payouts for in some cases very minor injuries I mean I've got nothing I see nothing wrong in somebody who's very seriously injured and you know life altering life changing injuries who need to be looked after and deserve every cent that they get from from a claim but it's these small injuries and these dare I say unlucky people who seem to be repeat uh, who seem to be so accident prone they're always before the courts uh, claiming for something we need to stop that and we'll all benefit won't we we'll all benefit and, and you're absolutely 100% there Patricia and most importantly there is no change to the catastrophic injuries that we know there is no change actually the, 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 the values have gone up because there's more care involved health costs have gone up so those types of injuries those life changing injuries have all gone up. So there's no fear to any of that. This is the soft tissue injury we're talking about, the whiplash, which is the most common one, which the insurance companies kept harping on about. Well, I think we're nearly at, we're nearly at I won't call it an end, but we're nearly at a, a situation where there will be some certainty as to how much you will get if you have a whiplash claim. Yeah, and if you look to other countries, that's the way it is in other countries as well. It's deemed a minor injury. You get your payout and, and then you that's it. Book, you get a book of vouchers in Germany. For, is, that for what it is? is that what it is? That's what it is. Plain okay. and simple. You, you've oh. got a physio. And listen, I have total sympathy. I know there's listeners out there now this morning going, oh, there he is. He knows nothing about it. I do know people with whiplash. Thankfully, I've never had it. <laughs> and I would hate to have it. But physio is the answer and maybe consistent physio 
Yes, in Germany, you get your book of vouchers and then you go back and you get another book of vouchers. Which allows you to go off and get the physio to, to rectify the whiplash. Which is the only yeah. answer to yeah, this. Yeah, there's yeah. no other answer. 100%, 100%. OK. And then 1st of July is this Friday. Now, there's, this is going to see new rules partially banning differential pricing uh, between uh, what's implemented on motor and home renewals Can you uh, for consumers. Yeah. Sounds like gobbledygook. Can you just quickly explain it to us? Gobbledygook, I can't explain it. I've been, I, I've been turning it inside out, upside down, the legislation. Listen, there's been uh, a fudge in this by government. In my estimation, I would have liked to have seen us move in the, in the position of the UK, where the new business price is the same as the renewal price, but we haven't done that, and I think that's wrong. I think that's going to have to be... The central bank are going to have to go back and look at this. It's now your second renewal should be at the same rate as your initial renewal, if you want your initial price. So if you took out the price, Patricia, last week, in two years' time, that renewal price should be the same. That's That's the rating. That doesn't mean the price won't go up. There's going to be an awful lot of work in this. Consumers will be totally confused. I don't think, you know, I, I'm praying when we see the figures that, that it works. It, it, it'll, it'll be a hell of a lot better. Our team, uh, we have a big team working on this in Formoy. They're working very hard. I'm telling them, if you see any discrepancies, you pull them immediately straight back onto the insurance company to find out what's going on here. We need explanations. Okay, a mine of information as always. But hopefully, hopefully it'll all work out better for the consumer. That's what this is all about. Okay, and that's what we all hope for. Listen, we'll chat again next month. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Paul Kavanagh, who is with McCarthy Insurance Group. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Somebody earlier had mentioned, I think it's when we were talking about what the melee that happened at the, the GAA, somebody was talking about that she's noticed um, a, an increase in people cursing. And, oh, it was a gentleman, yeah, he was saying that his friend was sitting in JFK and was embarrassed to be Irish because there was a group of Irish lads about to board at the same plane and they was just non-stop. Every second word was almost a swear word. And I was making the point, is, is, is it, have others noticed it? Uh, and are we as a nation, do we curse more than, say, the English or the Scottish or the French or the Germans? Are we just known for being a nation that seems to decide it's OK to use swear words uh, almost on a daily basis. Listener says, on the subject of cursing, I have to admit I curse a lot and it's not nice to hear but I actually find it's a great stress reliever and it's a coping method for me. I would never have thought about that. Sure, some people would drive you to curse. <laughs> we, all, we all have people like that I suppose in our lives. Uh, somebody said, I wonder could this be a topic for Joe Heffernan uh, on how to deal with, with the stresses and does cursing actually help? I would never have thought of using bad language because it's something I don't do I have to say hand on heart and I don't like it and I have a tendency if I'm in particularly family members companies and somebody curses I'll actually I find myself saying language I'll I find myself actually saying it. I just don't like it. I really just don't like it. Margaret in Mill Street says I feel, uh, agrees. Yes, she said, I feel we the Irish do use way too much bad language. There was a time 
when no one would consider using it in front of other people. But now you hear it so much today. It's almost a part of everyday life and everyday language. Like people are use the F word or whatever the swear words they decide to use and they drop it into conversation and they probably don't even realise they're dropping it into conversation. Unlike the listener who admits to cursing a lot but uses it as a stress valve so when things are getting on, on, on top of her starts to use uh, swear words but to other people it's almost like it's just part of their language part of their vocabulary they don't even realise that they're using it so much and Kay said when I mentioned Love Island and I did because of the Irish guy Dammy I've noticed he seems to curse more than the the others that are in there and he's the only Irish lad in there Kay noticed last night while watching uh, Love Island that there was a lot of people using the Lord's name and obviously she didn't like that 0818 103 103 keep your Questions coming in for Annalise Drissel, please, our nutritional therapist, because she'll be answering your questions on the programme. You can text or you can call John Paul. Now, Mary was on to us about, this is to do with Susie Grants for students heading into third level education. And she's, she feels as workers, uh, her daughter has been penalised. And her story is that her daughter applied for the Susie Grant this year. But because she worked right throughout the year, now she got up Early in the morning, she worked every single weekend. She worked right throughout the summer months, getting up at 7 a.m. when she was on her holidays to work in a factory. She worked constantly. She never went on to the pop payment or any kind of social welfare. And when she's applied for the grant, she's been told no because she's earned too much money. Mary says we're struggling ourselves as parents. We never got this opportunity, but it's going to be more than difficult. Who's giving our young people the incentive? to go out and work if my daughter had stayed at home and hadn't gone to work at all then she would be able to receive the full Susie grant but because she's worked she has now been penalised on top of that her accommodation for her college has now gone up by 400 euro and my husband he's got the additional expenses of 100 euro a week just in his petrol just to get him to and from work there isn't that really summing up the squeezed uh, middle because I know with the Susie Grant they did announce lately Simon Harris the Minister for Higher Education they upped the threshold level for how much uh, a student could earn off the top of my head I think it went to from four and a half thousand to six and a half thousand and one of the reasons one of the main reasons for that was to encourage students to go out and work not necessarily during their college time, but certainly during the summer months to try to fill the vacancies in the hospitality sector. And for that reason, they increased the amount that you could earn. So I don't know, Mary, when your daughter applied and if she applied for the Susie Grant, say, in the last number of weeks when the old criteria was in place, the four and a half thousand, say it has gone up to about six and a half thousand. Maybe, maybe she may need to reapply again. But it does seem absolutely, my heart breaks for you, it does seem very unfair on, you know, a young woman who is doing everything possible to put herself through college and to try to fund as much of it as she can and then suddenly to get penalised whereas somebody who decided to stay at home and said ah should the Susie Grant will cover everything not that the Susie Grant does cover everything but you know that kind of attitude I won't bother working because I want to get the full amount of the Susie Grant it does seem very very unfair 0818103103 still lots of comments coming in on the match and I will get to uh, those in a sec but I just want to 
there was somebody asked me to give a mention and if I can find it Mary by WhatsApp says Patricia I'd like to give the fireman a big thank you for giving my two daughters a free pass for the Charleville show yesterday the girls were delighted I don't know who the fireman was who who gave a free pass to the Charleville uh, show but um, if that fireman is listening Mary's two girls very much appreciated of course the Charleville show was on at the weekend Weather-wise, it wasn't. Certainly yesterday seemed quite miserable and hopefully it all went well for everybody involved. Now, some of your comments coming in, still coming in about what happened at the match yesterday, the Armagh-Galway match, which ended up in this very, very ugly brawl at the end of normal time. Mary says, Susan, who joined us on the comment line area, made a very strong and valid point. There is nothing else thought about in GAA, says Mary, except win, win, win. It's sport. At the end of the day, you win some, you lose some. It's the very same as life. It should be part of the children's training session, says Mary. So 100% agreeing with Susan, whose own children went to the GAA, but she was actually also a coach. And she reckons the children are today, coming up through the ranks of the GAA, are not taught how to lose and how to lose with pride and, you know, how to congratulate. You can be absolutely gutted leaving the pitch if you lose, but you have to learn to lose with dignity as well. Hi, Patricia. Just a comment on the match yesterday. The fellow that did the eye gouging, the Galway player, I feel he needs to get help immediately before he really does something more dangerous. And there's a couple of other people saying that as well, that if somebody can lose their temper temper like that and remember this lad wasn't playing he seemed to be part of the backroom team for the for our, our for our ma but if he could get that riled up like without even being on the pitch and even if you were on the pitch to get that riled up to eye gorge somebody you know in the heat of the moment what you know what could happen in another situation if you're out and he gets involved in a fight or if somebody picks on him yeah it's a, it's a good point uh, thank you for that Ita says uh, hi Patricia the GAA this morning suggesting that they will have teams exiting the pitch two different directions and going into different tunnels for example I feel that's a disgrace the GAA also using penalty shoots shootouts penalty shootout comes from the world of soccer and it has nothing whatsoever to do with the GAA also why can't GAA players be more respectful like rugby players are learn respect you would never see that type of carry on in a game of a rugby and I suppose I'd have to we would have to get the insight from rugby coaches, particularly rugby coaches who coach children, is respect taught from a very, very early age when children take to rugby? And because certainly the respect level for the referees on a rugby pitch is very different to what you see on a soccer pitch or on a GAA uh, pitch. It's just certainly between rugby and soccer, it's like night and day, the respect levels towards the uh, referees. But the rugby players certainly lose with dignity and they equally would be gutted when they lose. And, you know, as Susan said and others are saying, maybe the GAA can learn to take something out of the rule book of the rugby leagues and see if they can pass it on to their young uh, people because certainly we need to teach children how to lose. I do think that is so, so important. But then Caroline in Middleton said, oh, for God's sake, will you tell people? 
to give those young fellas yesterday a uh, break. They were all fired up. That's all it was. Give them a break. Doesn't see anything wrong with what went on yesterday. It's just part of what happens when you get involved in a match like uh, that. 0818 103 103 uh, John Paul taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and then just one other issue that came in I suppose tied in with when Michael Moynihan uh, joined us uh, speaking earlier and just as part of the conversation I mentioned about Paul Reid uh, resigning and that led to disability and the vacancies within disability and there's a whole issue on vacancies that we have for you know the likes of physiotherapy occupational therapy all of that and I know something we're working on I don't know if we're going to get to it tomorrow later on in the week we know we have a massive problem with GPs not having enough GPs we already now have situations if you move to a new area trying to get a GP to sign up under a GP practice. You know, when you move to a new area and if you've got children, you know, probably the first thing you do is you enrol the children in the schools, school and then you do the things like you enrol in a, a local GP and p- people are having huge, huge problems getting a, a GP. It's not that the GPs don't want patients, but they're full. They can't take in anymore and it has become a big problem and that problem is going to get exacerbated in the not too distant future because we know and the HSE obviously know and the Department of Health know there are a number of GPs who are due to retire and there's no young GPs coming up to take on those jobs so we do have a massive problem with GPs in this country and also within right across our healthcare system consultants there will be a number of consultants retiring and they all need to be replaced and we need to do we certainly need to do something about that the GP one I think is really going to get exposed as we the Central Statistics Office on last week talking about the preliminary results out from the census. We have an increase in population and we have an increase in population certainly here across Cork City and uh, County. So more people have moved into the area in the last six years that didn't live in Cork in the last uh, previous to the 2016 uh, census. All of those are going to need to need doctors. Some of them will have been lucky enough to get a local GP, but others are scrambling around and don't have a doctor. I mean, we, we would often get calls in here from people who are saying that they can't find a GP in their area. And if they get sick, they have to rely on ringing Southstock, which works out very expensive uh, for people, in a very expensive way to go to a doctor. And that's not what Southstock was ever intended for. We have other people who end up going to the accident and emergency department because they could have, could have gone to, if they'd had a doctor, they could have gone to their GP and got an antibiotic for something. If they have some kind of an infection that needs an antibiotic and they've no other choice but to go to the A&E department. And that's not what the accident and emergency department is for either. But you can understand people when they're desperate and they need to see a doctor and if they don't have a GP. So we do have a huge, huge problem. Uh, we already have it, but it's going to get worse if we don't do something about it. And Morris is kind of picking up on that, uh, saying that we have students here in Ireland, medical students here in Ireland, they come to Ireland to get their medical education. But when it comes to getting internships, when they've finished their time in college and then they go on and they do internships around all of the di- different hospitals, these, they're, they're the non-U, the non-Irish students, there isn't enough. Now, there is a number of internships every year for the non-EU students. But according to Morris, there isn't enough and then some of them simply have to travel back home and they are a loss to this country. He's citing, for an example, a young um, 
lady that he knows, young medical student from India. She was desperate to try to get an internship. She wanted to stay on in this country, but unfortunately she couldn't get an internship and she's had to go back to uh, India and she desperately wanted to stay. And Morris said, no wonder we have a shortage of GPs because a lot of these students want to stay on and would like to have a life here in Ireland and would willingly stay on and work be it either in the health service or would go into private uh, GP practice or go into GP practice where they would be dealing with people on uh, medical cards. And I remember during COVID times that became an issue and they extended the number of internships they they gave more, they allowed for more. But obviously we're back now and uh, people are sort of getting back to normal. We're trying to get back to normal after COVID, but God knows, anybody else noticed? We all seem to now know somebody who's coming down with COVID. We definitely are are in the middle of this summer surge of uh, COVID. But I look into that, but it's obviously there's an they've lowered they are not lowered or they've have they've put a cap on the number of internships and this is to say non-EU and non-Irish uh, students 0818 103 103 Margaret in Carlo uh, joins me good morning to you Margaret Hello, how are you? This is on people swearing and using bad language. That's right, yes. I was just saying, I went at a very young age to England nursing and I did realise very quickly that Irish people do swear a lot more than English people. And very much just men, Irish men rather than women. But I've been a nurse a long time and I opened a rehab unit and I soon realised that a lot of people who had strokes, they were the only word that could get out. What? And the family would come in and they would be so upset, especially in English. But mum never swore. Dad never swore. I am so upset. I have to apologise. I said, you don't need to apologise. When people have a left-sided stroke, that's the word that comes out for some reason. Now, I'm not a neurologist or anything, but I just wanted to get across to people that because it does. Well, the one thing I have noticed is Irish women have started swearing, which is very sad. Yeah, and and you're saying in previous generations it was the Irish men who used to yes, do all the swearing. You wouldn't hear an Irish woman swear. No, but now it's such it's part like part of the Irish language nearly. You see, that's the point I was making earlier as well. It's almost like it's in some people's vocabulary that they don't even realise that they every second word is f this and yeah. Doing it. yeah, and that is the truth of it, and it's a shame, really. But it's not even like a swear to them anymore. It's yeah. not a swear word. Yeah. And uh, even blasphemous words are not, they just come out with them now and that's it. Yeah. And maybe we do need to do something about that. Yeah, and what's to be done, I don't know. But I think definitely I, as a nation, I think we do, and you're agreeing, we do seem to swear more than definitely. other nationalities. Yeah. All right. I looked after lots of nationalities and it was very prevalent. It's in, in, I'm, I'm really interested in your views on people after a, a stroke. So, you yes, know, people very st- much so, yeah. very much well. so. Left side stroke and you know, most, even when they've lost most of their speech, that's a word. The that one word that'll come so out. Easy. It's oh. frustration, obviously, as well. Yeah. But for for the family to hear mum and dad who never. Yeah, to that's that. hard. And I used to have to explain. This is part and parcel of it. And does it go away? Do, do, does uh, well, not unless they regain a lot of their speech. But then there's the, still the frustration with not being able to move an arm or leg or whatever, and it can still come out. 
Mm. And it's just to let people know, it's, it's, not, it's not that they've changed, it's just the frustration, I think, yeah. of this whole neurological condition. I think you're right. Listen, uh, Margaret, uh, good to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for joining us. 0818103103. John Paul takes your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And we continue to wish good luck to uh, Geraldine Litch from Recruit. Buffalo Farm, who spoke to us a few weeks ago in uh, in advance of her undertaking a 1,000 kilometre hike. She's doing it over six weeks from Ballycastle in County Antrim and she's walking all the way to Alahees on the Bayra Peninsula. She's appealing for donations to help her raise funds for breakthrough cancer research and you can donate by searching from Antrim to Alahees on www.idonate.ie Donorail Active Retirement, they will have their next meeting this afternoon, 3 o'clock, presentation, Pastoral Centre, all are welcome. Shambhalimore Community Development Association inviting all residents to join them in a clean-up Shambhalimore. It's on Monday evenings and they ask people to please meet at uh, 7pm on a Monday night. And Shambhalimore Bingo is on tomorrow night, Tuesday at 8, jackpot this week, 2000. 200 euro all are welcome and there will be a ladies gala evening in Middleton College next Thursday starting at 7pm with hair and beauty transformation spot prizes for the best dressed lady plus Eunice Power the chef from the afternoon show on RTE Amora Hunter from RTE's At Your Service proceeds are going to the Middleton College student Alison Dorley's journey to Ghana and she's going to work with underprivileged children. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Before we catch up with Annalise Drissel, just some final comments uh, coming in. Uh, Jim on the melee at the match. And do we need to teach children within the GAA, do we need to teach them to lose which has come up on the programme this morning. Jim says, in juvenile games in Hollow, both teams line up and congratulate each other and they tip their opponents' hurlies after the match. Uh, and so they are teaching it in Hollow. Well done, uh, Jim. And he said, actually, in rugby, there's an awful lot of eye gouging goes on and biting, especially in the scrum. You would rarely see it at a GAA uh, game. Well, certainly the eye gouging that we witnessed yesterday, that was very rare, thankfully. Thankfully, that was very rare and you would never, ever want to see that again in any type of sport. It's just so dangerous. Thank you, Jim, for your comment. Uh, John says, I was disappointed that the Gardaí didn't get involved. If a fight like that broke out on a crowded street, the Gardaí would have been all over it. Why didn't they get involved? I've never seen the Gardaí. I mean, there would be Gardaí on duty in Croke Park, but I've never seen a Gardaí run onto a pitch. Has anybody ever seen the Gardaí get involved in a fight at a GA match, a soccer match or a rugby match? I don't think I've ever seen it. Maybe they don't have jurisdiction over John, I don't know. Eddie and Mahan says, thank you for your call. Eddie and Mahan says it was total disgrace, but there's no real deterrent. He says players can get sent off, they can get a red card, but then if the red card is appealed, what can often happen is that the red card gets overturned so that for the next game they're back on the pitch again. The GAA need to be stricter with their whatever penalties are handed out to uh, people Um, and that's why we are seeing so much of this type of behaviour today. 0818 103 103 and somebody says Patricia there was a guard 
who was looking on at the brawl. Yeah, there would have been Gardaí stationed in, in, at the match yesterday for security reasons. There would be Gardaí present. But as I say, I don't think I've ever, maybe somebody can tell me that it does happen. Has anybody ever seen a Gardaí come on and try to break up a melee uh, on the actual pitch that was involving uh, the players? And just on... Um, is this one more Jim in Clonakilty? I recall a long time ago, says Jim, playing with Clonakilty Vocational School. We played a county final in Coachford and we played Mallow and we won or we didn't win. I don't know what the, what the anyway, uh, we were taken to the Vocational School in Coachford. The principal of Coachford School at the time said in his speech after the game, uh, without without the winners, there would be without the losers, there would be no, no winners, basically meaning that uh, you can't be winners all the time. But that's not the way things are these days. It seems to be all about winning. And that is the unfortunate thing. And that's what we need to start moving away from. Thank you, Jim, for your call. And just one final one on cursing from Mike in Bantry. Mike says he doesn't curse. Well done, our Mike. He said, I lived in Australia. I went there working. You will rarely hear the Australians curse unless you don't go abroad. If you just stay in Ireland and never leave Ireland, I think maybe we end up picking up the habit of cursing. People don't even realise they're cursing. It's a horrible habit, says Mike from Bantry. And I think that's the one point about it. It's become part of people's everyday vocabulary that they don't even realise that they're saying it or doing it. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Cusack Insurance is Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub at Times Square in Ballincollig uh, joining us on this Monday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. And straight in, lots of questions in, so let's see if we can get through as many of them as we can. This came in by email from Anya. Could you ask Annalise, please, what is good for an 18-year-old who's suffering from eczema on the face and on the scalp? Now, he does work in a garage, so I'm wondering, once the eczema has cleared up, could he use a barrier cream and would that also help? Um, so, yes, um, he could use a barrier cream and that would help. But my own thinking on eczema, Patricia, is that it's not an ex- just an external problem. It's actually often driven internally as well. Um, so different things will affect eczema. Some people will notice that their skin gets worse when they eat a lot of particular food that maybe they're intolerant to. Dairy would be a big one. Egg is another big one. For some people, it's wheat. Uh, when I do the food intolerance tests here, the blood tests, Pea comes up an awful lot and barley comes up an awful lot. Uh, Egg is the number one and dairy would be the number two in terms of what people react to. So that kind of drives the inflammation from the inside and then it affects the skin. So ideally, you try and identify the triggers. Now, if he's working in a garage, it might be that he's being exposed to certain chemicals as well. Um, Or it's possibly that his diet has gone bad if he's eating you know, bad lunches maybe with the lads up in the garage. They often eat these breakfast rolls. It might be something like that. So take a look at the diet. Then in terms of prevention, I would highly recommend an omega-3 fat because what that does is it gets into the skin cells and it kind of waterproofs them because when you've got eczema, your skin is very fragile and dry and very liable to crack and itch. 
So an omega-3 fish oil, and we love here at the Unocardio is our favourite one. It's a very high-strength one. And then in terms of treating it, there's a couple of things that could work very well. So there's two creams. One is called Hope's Relief, and the other one is Salcura Deoderm. So either of those could be very good. And he could also put those through his hair, you know, onto his scalp at night before he goes into work. He could wash them off as normal then the following morning. And at least it would be treating his skin overnight. And then they can also be used as a barrier cream going forward to protect the skin once it clears. Okay, Kathleen, would you have any advice, please, for anxiety, especially before I go and see the doctor? I go into the GP and as soon as I go in to get my blood pressure checked, it's through the roof. But if I'm not at the doctor's, when I check my own blood pressure at home, it's fine. I just seem to get anxious when I go in to visit the doctor and it sends the blood pressure sky high. And it's really common, so common that there's actually a name for it and it's called white collar syndrome. (laughs) So you get your blood pressure raises when you see people in white coats like the doctors used to wear in the olden days. And actually a good doctor should know that. Um, that, So it's nothing I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, things for anxiety that work very quickly are things like either L-theanine, it's spelled with a capital L, and then a T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E, separate word, and also cannabis oil, CBD oil. And these are very, very good for immediate calm. They don't do much to kind of benefit you in the long term, but they certainly take the edge off very, very quickly. So you probably want to take those about half an hour, 20 minutes before you actually go into the doctor. But the truth of it is, is I wouldn't worry about that. A good doctor or nurse will know. Um, the worst case scenario, they might say, take a blood pressure monitor home and monitor your blood pressure over 24 hours. And that's when they'd recommend you take medication, not just because your blood pressure is high when you go in. Yeah, yeah, but it is, you're right. It is, it is very common. Okay, Elizabeth says, hi, Annalise. What is the difference between digestive enzymes and prebiotics? I suffer from reflux and IBS. So is it okay to take both or would slippery elm cover both instead? So actually, they're all different things, Patricia. So we make our own digestive enzymes in our bodies, and they're important for breaking down your fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. And some people find that taking a digestive enzyme helps improve their digestion, so they mightn't get as much heartburn, and they also might find it helps in terms of irregular bowel movement. But a prebiotic is something different entirely. Prebiotics are types of fibers that help to feed the good bacteria so that the good bacteria can thrive in our lower gut, in our colon. And they're particular kinds of fibres that we get mostly from vegetables in our diet. Um, So sometimes you can, you know, they give you prebiotics along with a probiotic because the two of them go nicely together. You're putting the probiotic, the bacteria in, and you're giving them the prebiotic, which is the food that they feed on so that they can thrive. So that's a different thing. And then slippery elm is actually kind of like a mucilage that they extract from the slippery elm tree. And it almost acts like a kind of a, like a Gaviscon or something like that by coating all of the cells of the um, esophagus and the stomach with that tippery, thick, slimy kind of slippery layer. And it protects the stomach when acid is released during normal digestion. So they're all very different things. For heartburn, we always recommend slippery elm and the zinc carnison to tighten up that little valve. And then if we, if we ask more questions and people do seem to have difficulty digesting, we'll then add on a digestive enzyme. And then if they have a lot of um, other bowel issues like diarrhea, we might recommend a probiotic. And generally, we recommend prebiotics through diet only. Okay, question in. What would you recommend as a good supplement for brain fog for a woman in her 60s? 
Okay, gosh, that's the million dollar question now, Patricia, because there's so many reasons we could have brain fog. Um, Typical reasons for brain fog would be menopause is a big one, definitely. When our estrogen drops for women, I think that our brains, it's like having pregnancy brain as well. So it must be something to do with the imbalance of progesterone. Okay, just by the way, what what is meant by brain fog? Is this just being forgetful or? I think it is, or not forgetful or not being able to think of something so you might, might you know you forget somebody's name or yeah, yeah. You might forget what you're talking about halfway through your sentence or you can't remember something but you just feel that there's this fog in your brain so you're not thinking clearly okay so menopause is common tiredness and stress is very common um also actually an overgrowth of the candida yeast is quite common to create a brain fog as well a lot of people have reported brain fog after covid this year so that could be also post-viral. And then there is the normal aging that comes along with your brain. So ideally, you kind of figure out what the problem is, what's causing it, and then you treat accordingly. But if it's just normal aging brain that you want to support, there are two supplements that we find great here in the shop we get good feedback on. One of them is the Revive Active Mastermind. That comes in a kind of a sachet. And I've tried that myself when I was going through a stressful period and I just couldn't focus on, I hated doing my books, so I couldn't sit down and do them. And I took that for a couple of months and I found my focus really improved. So that's the Revive Active Mastermind. And then there's also the NHP Advanced Memory Support. And that's another very good one. So if you could get either of those from your health store, that's good to start off um, with. And if they, if your brain doesn't improve on those, then maybe you need to look at some type of kind of hormone support or some type of stress support if it's stress-related brain fog. Okay. Hi. Could uh, Annalise please give advice on what could be used to increase ferritin levels in my blood? So ferritin is your iron store. When they measure your blood, they measure the iron in your blood, but that can be affected by what you've eaten. So they also measure something called ferritin, which is a measure of how much stored iron you've got in your liver. And if that's low, it's a sign that you could be anemic because um, you don't have a lot of iron to draw on. So the best thing to do is to take an iron supplement. And I always like taking an iron supplement along with B12 and folate as well because the three of them work together to form red blood cells. So they're much better working together to prevent anemia than just iron on its own. And the best type of iron that is um, for absorption that doesn't affect the stomach or cause constipation is something called iron biglycinate. You'll often hear me talk about magnesium biglycinate. So it's just the way that they formulate it, they bind it to a protein. So it's very, very well absorbed and very unlikely to constipate you. So the Terra Nova brand is lovely. Viridian do a lovely brand as well. Um, and also Nature's Plus do one called Hemaplex, which is a broad spectrum one, and they should all raise your iron levels. Question for Annalise, please. What should I take for stiffness in my feet, especially in the morning? Also, I've noticed the bones in my toes can be very tender. So it sounds like a bit of arthritis in the feet, Patricia. Um, now, of course, I suppose you rule out the very obvious things that maybe your shoes are causing the problem. Um, you know, if you're on your feet all day, that can also cause it as well. So take a look at your shoes. Maybe come home, if you're coming home after a day standing, do a lovely foot bath with some Epsom salts in there and that's great for relaxing out feet. But if it's more in the joints and the bones, it's probably a bit of arthritis. So you would treat as you would for any other arthritis joint in wrists or fingers or hips or whatever by taking a supplement. Um, so you could, like the ones that we, we get great feedback on here, the Gal UC2 cartilage 
is very good. Um, Soligar 7 is another fantastic one as well. That's got some nice anti-inflammatory in there. Um, or if you just wanted to go down the anti-inflammatory route, we get great feedback on one called uh, Curcudine, C-U-R-C-U-D-Y-N, Curcudine Forte, which is kind of a strong version. And it's by a company called Nutri-Advanced, and that's a great anti-inflammatory for any kind of pain or swelling or redness or stiffness. Okay, and a final one, Mary in Coachford. What would you recommend for somebody suffering from gout? Gout. So generally diet is the first place you start with gout. Gout. Gout build, happens when uric acid builds up in your blood and uric acid is a breakdown of a particular kind of protein that you find in beer, meat, fish, some nuts and seeds. So if you go online and do um, a Google for purine, P-U-R-I-N-E, purine-rich foods, they're the foods that really drive up uric acid. And what happens then is that that uric acid gets so concentrated, it starts crystallizing out of the blood and gets lodged in between joints. And it's excruciatingly painful. Huge genetic link as well as a dietary link. So prevention always better than cure. And the best prevention is to drink cherry juice every single day because that helps the kidneys get rid of uric acid so it doesn't build up in the first place. Um, And then if you're suffering from a, a bout of it, the Dr. Delish Clare, she does a musculo joint herbal blend which has got stuff in there for uric acid but also for the inflammation and the pain in joints so if you're in a flare-up add that and take your cherry juice three times a day and then for prevention take your cherry juice once a day okay mind of information as always have a lovely week we'll talk thanks, next monday Patricia. thanks that's annalise Trissell of the health hub times square in balancolic she's got a website healthhubstore.com and this afternoon she'll put up all the advice that she has given us if you go on to her website healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio all of the products that we have dealt with uh, today and John Paul of course puts it up as a separate podcast later on in the afternoon uh, 0818103103 I mentioned when I was reading out the community diary that Geraldine Lynch from the Muff from the McCroom Buffalo Farm is undertaking a thousand thousand kilometre hike. She's going from County Antrim to Ali's over six weeks and she's doing it all for Breakthrough Cancer Research. Wonderful, wonderful organisation. Somebody says, Patricia, would you also give a mention to Annette O'Sullivan from Ali's who's also walking with George. You know, I wasn't aware of that and raising much needed funds for cancer research. Well done to both of them and that's from uh, Mary who is Annette's sister-in-law. Thank you, Mary, for pointing that out uh, to us. And someone else says, many Moons ago, this is on the GAA, my son was dropped for a hurling final. Now, listener says, a lad who hadn't picked up a hurley in quite some time took his place. When I questioned it, I was told it's all about winning. It's winning is what matters. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Eric Griffin is in for Nick for this week. So he's up next. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 on the Lampertage Messenger. Very good afternoon. On C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.